The universe is unfathomably immense, but it is mindless. It's a marvellous but mindless machine. As wondrous as the universe is, on Earth there is something far more extraordinary. We call it life. Yet even in its brilliance, life groans. It's both beautiful and cruel, red in tooth and claw. The greatest wonder of all on planet Earth is you, me, humanity. One ring to rule them all. A being endowed with almost unlimited capacity, demonstrated in history, philosophy, art, science, language, music, engineering, law, government and medicine. We are masters of the planet. We are brilliant beings, yet at the same time, we are tragically broken capable of unspeakable inhumanity, destructiveness, callousness from the personal to the global level. War, slavery, prostitution, addictions, racism, injustice. We're masters of the planet, but all too often can't master ourselves. Why is it so? How can it be better? Welcome to the search for life. People live with damaged hearts and they just don't know how to fix them. Whitney Houston. How brilliant and how beautiful can you be? She drowned in a bathtub after an overdose of drugs. Whitney, why the drugs? Kevin Costner, speaking at her funeral, said tragically Whitney just never felt that she was good enough. What is that about? I'm about to run another Valiant Man course and men come to my course for many different reasons. Some want the education, some are wanting to improve their marriages, but I know that I'll always have some who come trapped and disgusted. They're disgusted with what they have become. They never intended to be acting like half devil and half wild animal. They just wanted to be happy. Then they encountered porn. They loved the excitement. It provoked them, but they hate the defilement they feel. It's not easy being human because you're not an animal even when you're acting like one because you were made for higher things and your conscience makes you miserable. I don't know if this drives you crazy, but I hate the way TV is filled with gambling ads. Now, I just don't know how this gets a grip on people because it's certainly not my thing, but it does. Empty souls will feed on pig's food when they get empty enough. I'll never forget being in church one night when a woman came for prayer saying that her husband had left home three days earlier. She had found him that day in the Crown Casino. He was still wearing the same suit and he had lost their house. It's not easy being human with an empty soul and not knowing how to fill it. Well, if only people would come to Jesus. Well, all too often they have. 
King Solomon, what an example. A man of God with great encounters with God, but with a burned out pleasure center, crying meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. Ananias and Sapphira, at the center of the early revival in the book of Acts, finding such a desperate need for the approval of other people that they were willing to lie to the Holy Spirit and it ended up costing them their lives. Now, I don't have to look at other people's circumstances and situations alone. I, I look at my own brokenness. I will never forget uh, experiencing that first dreadful moment with my own heart lying to me, attracted to a senior girl on a high school trip. And I felt the power of my own lying heart telling me I would never be happy if I didn't chase that girl. I thank God for the Ten Commandments. I thank God for the fear of God. I survived. Helen and I love each other. We've been married now for 54 years. But I was shocked at the power of my own lying emotions. My first encounter with a woman in our church with anorexia an eating disorder, looking in the mirror and seeing herself as overweight and ugly. But no one thinks the solution to that will be to help her find a diet that allows her to lose enough weight until her body matches her distorted perceptions. Her thought life had become disconnected from reality. That wouldn't have been helpful, trying to get her on a better diet. And then I think of the current wave of gender dysphoria, that is sweeping the Western world and is alarming anyone who cares about the future of the emerging generations. The rush to affirm a child's self-diagnosis that I'm trapped in the wrong body and then begin the process of trying to change their body to match their own perceptions. It's not easy being human. Such strong passions, such conflicting emotions, so many important questions and so many voices trying to help you answer those questions. There is a way, the Bible says, that seems right to mankind, but the end of that is simply the way of death. There is another way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, it's not easy being human, and I will give you rest. Yet, all too many people start out on that journey, believing and following the promise of Jesus, and they still crash and burn, just like lost people. Isn't the gospel the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes? Yes, it is. That's Romans chapter 1. But don't miss the whole story of redemption because the whole story of redemption takes us to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your divinely reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You must understand that redemption 
comes in three parts. A human body is not the end product of a mindless mechanistic universe. God, our creator, is spirit. Uh, angels that populate heaven are spirit. But humanity is a new kind of being. Uh, this creature is a mixture of clay and spirit, a physical outer man and a spiritual inner man welded together as a living soul. To be born human is a profound privilege. While you have a physical body, you are not an animal. You are a human being formed in the image of God. You are a being like no other in heaven or on the earth. The possibility of an eternal inheritance is laid out before you. Life is a probationary opportunity of almost indescribable dimensions. Yet with the privilege of being human comes profound responsibility. We are accountable to the creator of heaven and earth in a way that no other living creatures on earth are accountable. The truth is that God is holy. The truth is we are not. The fall of Adam is not just a story, it's history. Our father and mother sinned and we have followed them into their rebellion. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of the call of God upon our lives. And the truth is, we need a saviour. Well, the gospel is the power of God under salvation, and Jesus is that saviour. But salvation comes in three parts. You must understand how God intends to unfold his eternal purpose if you're going to cooperate with it. You need to understand the nature of the conflict that we are involved in, in our salvation, and the role that you are called to play in working out your salvation in fear and trembling. Because you see, the gospel is the power of God, but it's also the wisdom of God. The Bible says Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And Paul spells out the three parts of our salvation in these words. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. God's plan is a total and eternal salvation which comes in three parts. Righteousness, the part of salvation that's already done if you're a believer. Secondly, sanctification, the part of salvation that is being done and you must not ignore it or overlook it. The third part is redemption, the part of salvation that will be done at the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, let's talk about those three issues. Step number one, the cross. Redemption begins with righteousness. Martin Luther said he once used to hate that term, the righteousness of God because he understood it as being like a high jump bar that God expected from him to leap to a level of righteousness that would satisfy God. He hated that term. See, being human, we, we don't mind talking about our mistakes or our struggles or our dysfunction or our weaknesses or quirks, as long as it's in comparison with other people because we're all pretty much in the same basket. It's why we hate the word sin so much. You see, Sin is a theological word, 
And that causes us to think about our humanness in terms of the light of a holy creator. My life in the light of the holiness of God. Well, the whole purpose of the Old Testament was to bring us to an awareness of the problem of being reconciled to a holy God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says the soul that sins will die. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we come to Romans chapters 1 through 5, where here the Apostle Paul outlines, firstly, the power of our salvation in terms of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The miracle of justification to be counted by God to be as righteous as he is himself. Justification by grace, accomplished by the blood of the cross, to be received through, uh, through faith. And that flows from a new birth that takes place in your innermost being, which draws you to repentance and to faith and to put your trust in the goodness of God. And in that moment, the Bible says you receive a gift of righteousness, imputed righteousness, a free gift from God. And Luther would come to say that the term the righteousness of God became his greatest delight. For in the book of Romans, the Bible says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify but this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's not a high jumper. It's a free gift of the grace of God. And because of that, Romans 5.1 can say, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Reconciled to himself through the blood of the cross, the ungodly declared justified, as forgiven in one moment of time as you will ever be and as reconciled to the heart of God as you will ever be. It's called salvation, wonderful salvation. It's all done. Well, the first part is done. Justification is done, but don't stop here. There are three parts to your salvation. Now we move into the second phase of your salvation where you are being saved by the work of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Now God wants to move you from imputed righteousness to imparted righteousness, the formation of Christ in you by relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's called sanctification. Righteousness, sanctification, then comes redemption. It's called sanctification, the second part of the salvation journey. The word sanctification simply means that you have now been set apart for sacred purpose. I am being saved by the Holy Spirit from whatever I used to be. And in doing that, this is where you've got to, in, to uh, appreciate the difference between your inner being and your outer being. You see, the Bible has remarkable things to say about us. Crucified with Christ, 
buried with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places, dead to sin and alive to righteousness, all through Romans chapter 6. But that truth applies to my inner being. That truth applies to the spirit that has been made alive to God's heart by the Holy Spirit, has been forgiven and reconciled. And if only I was a more simple creature, if only I was just a spirit being, join the spirit of Christ to my spirit. I'm not only justified, I'm perfected. But I'm not that more simple creature. I am a profoundly complex creature. I'm a mixture of spirit and clay, a mixture of flesh and spirit. I am a human soul, a complex connection of matter and spirit, the material and the immaterial. I have biochemistry. I have hands. I have legs. I have fingers, genitals a brain with all its complex synapses. I've got eyes and ears, a tongue. The Bible lumps all these together and calls them by members. <laughs> I have a whole parliament of unruly members that constitute my body. At the same time, my inner man has been reconciled to God. I have a new creation inwardly but it is wedded to this body of unruly members, this cluster of unruly members. And the only way to separate the two is by death. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. His spirit departed, his body died and was laid in a tomb. There is a distinction between your inner and your outer mankind. You see, Jesus put it this way. He said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill your soul. Rather fear him that is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. There is an inward part, there is an outward part, and here's the wisdom of God. You might not like it, but this is God's wisdom and you have to learn to cooperate with it. His eternal plan was first to justify you with a gift of righteousness, and now to redeem your inner man, but leave the redemption of your body to another day. My inner man, my new creation is bonded to a fallen body, a body that will one day be redeemed, but is not yet redeemed. And his call to you, to me, to every follower of Jesus is to bring this body under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Now, those of us who care for souls, those of us who are in pastoral ministry, it's vital that we understand this because people don't just need spiritual wisdom and insight. They also need understanding about the body in which they are living because the two are harnessed together. It's important to understand something about brain chemistry, about how diet can affect you, about how we actually learn and change. It's important to know something about social skills and impulse control and a host of other insights that are part of the care of souls. It's why fasting matters, making your body cooperate with spiritual goals. It's why practice and learning techniques matter. 
It's why breathing techniques can even be significant in helping a person in their walk with Jesus Christ. These are not irrelevant when caring for the souls of people and their spiritual formation, because wherever kingdom life is being pursued, there's a new creation on the inside and a dead body on the outside, and we have to learn to manage them both. In fact, the Apostle Paul encourages us to to undertake practices that support the exercise of our will. He says, for example, exercise yourself under godliness. Retrain your brain. And if you won't do it, or if you don't do it, your spiritual formation, Christ in you, is hindered in the process. And it is here that we encounter one of the great tensions of being Christian and human in a broken world. Listen to what Paul has to say in Romans 8. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What makes you Christian is that the Spirit of God has done something new, bringing Christ and planting his nature within you. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. There is a conflict going on in the life of a Christian that will continue until part three of your redemption, and that is the redemption of your body and all creation. In that day, I will be saved. I will have been saved by the blood. I will have walked through sanctification by the Spirit and now my body is redeemed. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. But not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. Redemption. The adoption of the physical world into the liberty of heaven. Bodies redeemed, the conflict over. All creation experiencing the same liberty as God's redeemed sons and daughters. But right now, a war between the inner man and the outer man is our reality. A war between the flesh and the spirit. Regeneration has saved and renewed your innermost being. A new creation is within, but your outer has not been saved. That is yet to come. And there is a conflict between the spirit and the members of my body. My outer man, my physical body, my biology, my brain, my memories, my enculturated thinking my life experiences that have built a personality in me one day of behavior and thinking and reacting at a time. And that has not been swept away or removed by my salvation. That has to be renewed. The Apostle Paul has very different things to say about the outer man than he has to say about the inner man. He says, my outer man is perishing while my inner man is being renewed day by day. The Apostle Paul has very important things to say about what you should do with your body. 
For example, in Romans 6, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Neither yield your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. He says, you once yielded your members as slaves to impurity. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's very important what you do with your body. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. He's talking about his body, not the real him that lives within that new creation. No, that, that's not sold under sin, but the flesh is. He goes on to say, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. It sounds like Paul wrestled with dieting the same as everybody else. Trying to get your body to behave to a grand goal. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Oh, no, he doesn't mean the me that's the inner man. He's talking about the me that is the outer man. He goes on to say, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So you put those two things together, an inner man and an outer man, and you have conflict. He says, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our salvation is designed by God to take care of the entire issue in time. Paul uh, underlines the conflict we face in these words. He says, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then he warns us, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You let this body rule you, it can destroy you. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Sanctification is the process of bringing a damaged outer man under the leadership of the character of Christ in your inner man. There are so many voices seeking your attention to take charge of the direction of your life. Culture, well, there's a voice. Culture would like to frame for you a normality, but it has nothing to do with Christ in you and the hope of glory. Don't look there for your leadership. Your own ideas will be a voice. The passions and longings of your broken physical humanity will be a voice. Your family and your friends may be a voice. Your feelings will be a voice. Your passions and lusts will be a voice. The voice of your needs as you perceive them, and so often our perception can be wrong, that can be a voice. And then the voice of your own assessment of who you are and what you are and where you ought to be heading. All of those will be voices. But whose voice will command your attention? 
being human in a broken world. How do I manage all those voices in a way that honors God and cooperates with his divine intention? What is required of me? How does a Christian live this out in a fallen world with emotions, marriage, money, sex, entertainment, service, all clamoring for their versions of fulfillment? Well, here it is. God's wisdom for managing your sanctification. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your divinely reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Well, here it is. And over the next weeks, as a community of faith, you will be considering aspects of life around this passage of the Bible. How do you present your body? The Apostle Paul said, I keep my body under. What did he mean by that? How do you do that? How do you present your body as a living sacrifice? Well, we know we need to do it in the light of the holiness of God. It needs to be a holy and acceptable sacrifice because at the end of the day, we will stand in the presence of God and render an account for the things we've done with our body. And on that day, his vote will be the only one that counts. Um, and by the way, Paul says, given the gift of forgiveness, of justification and righteousness that has been bestowed upon you, reconciliation with God, this is a reasonable request. It's a really reasonable request that God is asking of you. Well, he says, don't be conformed. What does that mean? What does it mean to be conformed? How would that happen? How would I live that out? The alternative is to be transformed. Well, what does that mean? How does that happen? How do I live that out? If it's done by the renewing of my mind, well, well, explain to me, how does that work? If you put all that together, if you are being saved by the Spirit and the Word, the promise of God is that there will be an outcome, that you will discover that God's will is both good, acceptable and perfect. You will discover that your life and God's life are increasingly on the same page. Next week, I'd like to work through with you one practical example. Managing our sexual life, managing sex and gender in a broken world, in the light of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. But until then, let me pray for you and commit you into the hands of God. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for a salvation in three parts. I thank you that part is done. I thank you part is underway. I thank you for the promise of what is yet to come. And it is my prayer that over these coming weeks, this people will engage with you in ways they have never engaged with you before. And by wisdom and understanding and the presence of your great grace, they will grow in the knowledge of God and in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.